Hey there, thank you for your interest in learning more about how nutrition can improve the way you feel and your inflammation. My name is Stephanie Mahachek, and I am a board certified clinical nutritionist and a certified nutrition specialist. And I'm the owner of Food Factor Nutrition, which is my private nutrition practice where I work one-on-one also with small groups to help people better learn how nutrition can influence how they're feeling and how nutrition impacts their conditions and how to get on a good path or a good track with eating habits. So this is a recording and a presentation that was done um, at Ember Modern Medicine in Greenville, which is a direct primary care practice in Greenville, which is a fantastic place to go for care that I will link everything, uh, how to get in contact with them to set up your family's uh, care. And I also did this with Dr. Brian Keith, who is a, a f- phenomenal physical therapist, who is a a movement specialist and somebody who really dives deep into functional movements and how movement can benefit your health in so many ways. So we geared this presentation around arthritis and joint pain and how movement and nutrition both play a huge role in how you move, how you feel, if you are diagnosed with arthritis or other inflammatory conditions, what in the world you can do about it to help get you some relief. So obviously my my portion of the presentation is what I will be talking about today, um, but I will include Dr. Brian Keith's uh, contact information so that if you feel like movement or uh, talking with a physical therapist or a movement specialist would benefit you, you can contact him. He isn't based out of Greenville, um, but he is phenomenal. So definitely reach out to him. So When we talk about arthritis and joint pain, we definitely have to center the conversation around inflammation. Inflammation is our body's immune system responding to a threat. So whether that threat is environmental, like if there's toxins or chemicals, it could be internal, like our own hormones, like cortisol and insulin are both very inflammatory, or in terms of what I tend to focus on, which is our food choices. So a quick breakdown of inflammation, there are two forms. There's acute inflammation, which is the immediate response to an injury, such as swelling or redness or that pain or throbbing that you feel, like that typically if you smash your finger or you stub your toe or you cut yourself, that's that type of inflammation. This is the body's internal first responders heading to the scene of the accident. So it happens so that we can uh, protect ourselves from possible invaders like bacteria, but it also helps to protect the surrounding cells and tissue from further damage. Then we also have chronic inflammation. Now, chronic inflammation is uh, the source of most chronic conditions that we develop, such as diabetes, depression, hypertension, and of course, what we're talking about, arthritis. This is when something is constantly causing our body to be in a state of protection. So something is irritating it. Those first responders, they haven't you know, left the scene for quite some time, maybe years even. I like to talk a lot about root cause and getting to the root cause of a condition. So it can be treated and then symptoms can hopefully reduce. And many times inflammation is labeled as the root cause of disease, but that's not really true. Something has to cause or trigger that inflammation, which means that that something is the root, not the inflammation itself. So a question you may be asking is, well, what triggers chronic inflammation? Many things actually trigger chronic inflammation, but what I'm focusing on today is the food that we're eating. Our food is really not food anymore. Much of what has crept its way into our routine has become incredibly irritating to our body. 
So this irritation has turned into chronic inflammation in many Americans, and that is kind of what we're going to break down and talk further about today. So in terms of nutrition and inflammation, I kind of think of it in two ways. There are the foods that inflame and then the foods that tame the flame. When it comes to using nutrition as a tool to help manage inflammation, I also like to think of it as kind of a two-step approach. So one, we want to limit or reduce the foods that inflame, which we'll go over in a second. And two, we want to add in more foods that help tame that flame or that are anti-inflammatory, which we'll go over a little bit later. So let's start with the foods that inflame. This is, of course, not an exclusive list, and this can be very individual as well, where some things might inflame some people and not others. Uh, But generally speaking, you can kind of start here and kind of go from there. So sugar is that number one, and, and artificial sweeteners as well are probably the most prevalent in our diet and are highly inflammatory. But these are in almost everything, and they kind of be, they're the troublesome thing in the diet. So consuming these trigger an immune response in the body. Our body really doesn't recognize this as food. So what's not considered food in our body is technically an invader. And those first responders are called in to help protect. So that immune system is flared up. Sugar, when it's absorbed, actually activates certain hormones like insulin and also cortisol, which are both very pro-inflammatory. But artificial sweeteners are really not that much better because we don't absorb them. Hence why they are labeled as calorie free is because we actually don't absorb them in our body. Our body doesn't recognize them as food. So it's considered foreign and anything that doesn't belong in the body, uh, it gets recognized as foreign and triggers that immune response and those flare ups. It's really just our body trying to protect itself from a foreign invader. And this is also the case with preservatives, that second bullet point down. Preservatives and food additives like MSG and nitrates. It's not something that the body actually recognizes as food because it's not food. They are chemicals. They're chemicals added to food to help prevent the food from spoiling. Trans fats too, that third one down, are another really well-known kind of inflammatory substance. Um, And these are manufactured way of of adding fats that were probably once healthy to a food so that the food doesn't spoil. It's it's, it's modified. It's not genetically modified, but it's modified so that the the food itself does not spoil. And these are found in things like packaged uh, packaged baked goods or margarine, frying oils, fast food. However, actually, as of 2018, the U.S. put a ban on food manufacturers from using trans fats. However, the FDA put out a statement that basically said there's probably still some trans fats floating around in the in, in distribution. Um, so these are the things like partially hydrogenated oils. You can look for that on food labels. Gluten is another inflammatory food in many people. So if, obviously, if somebody has celiac disease, this is something that they're going to be watching out for. But there is also a condition called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, where people without the autoimmune condition of celiac disease actually notice a sensitivity to gluten. So these are the people that um, if they go without gluten, they notice that their joints feel a little bit better or their energy is higher or their skin clears up. Um, or they maybe have celiac-like symptoms, but repeatedly test negative for celiac, they might be more considered non-celiac gluten sensitive. A Harvard Health study actually estimated 1% to 3% of the population has non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So 
If you feel like one of those people who uh, does better without gluten, that may be why. And then dairy, of course, is another one that can be highly inflammatory for many, many people. What percentage, I'm going to ask a quick question. What percentage of the population do you think is lactose intolerant? I'm going to give you a second. I'm going to tell you the answer now. 65 to 75% of the general population is considered lactose intolerant or lactose sensitive. So if you happen to be of East Asian descent, those numbers actually jump up to 70 to 100% of that population has uh, the reduced ability to digest lactose. I mean, think about that is huge. If something in our body isn't properly broken down during the digestive process, because in the case of lactose intolerance, we lack the enzyme that breaks it down. It passes through that body. It passes through our body in a form that is it's not supposed to be in, which causes irritation and inflammation in the gut. And when the gut is irritated, you are irritated. Your whole body is irritated and it has a gigantic ripple effect in, into other areas. But it is not all doom and gloom. Let's talk about the foods that we can add in that help to tame the flame. I don't always like, I actually never like to focus on the things that we have to restrict and take out and all of that. I don't believe in that. I want to talk about the things that we do want to get in that are nourishing and healing. So one of the the most studied elements of food really are omega-3s and its correlation with inflammation. It is highly connected with anti-inflammatory. So this healthy form of fat is found in things like avocados, fish fish, nuts, seeds, olives, olive oils, avocado oils. Those are all really good sources of omega-3s. We can get these in also the form of like a fish oil, but I'm more of a fan of trying to get it in whole foods if you can. Um, Cooking with specific herbs like ginger, garlic, and cinnamon all have components that lower inflammation as well. And and I think some uh, common herb is turmeric or curcumin. Um, They are really talked about in the anti-inflammatory world. Um, Curcumin is actually, it's one of the 300 components of turmeric that make it anti-inflammatory, which is kind of funny that they kind of give so much attention to that one where there's like, you know, the 300 components, but, um, turmeric actually has a very small amount of curcumin and it's also not absorbed very well. So if you are cooking with turmeric, uh, make sure you also cook with black pepper because that has a little uh, element in there that helps to absorb the curcumin almost up to like 2000%. It was studied. So, uh, it definitely helps with the absorption. And if you're going to take a curcumin supplement, make sure it also has black pepper. A lot of times you'll see black pepper paired with curcumin as a supplement. So, but cooking with turmeric, definitely add some black pepper in there as well. It helps with the absorption. Then, of course, we want to talk about my favorite thing, fruits and veggies, dark berries, deep blues, purples, reds, and of course, the dark leafy greens are all foods that contain polyphenols and phytonutrients, specifically those that help with inflammation. And really, really focusing on eating a range, a wide variety of these vibrant colors will help ensure that you're getting a mix of all those key nutrients. If you only tend to eat, you know, red things, or you only tend to eat three different vegetables in your rotation, this would be an excellent thing to start paying attention to in your diet to help lower inflammation. The previous standard was to get about five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables every day. 
um, now functional medicine and and more of uh, the nutrition world is actually promoting it be closer to seven to nine servings of brightly colored fruits and veggies, mostly veggies if you can. Um, and, and that is something to aim for. But if you're not there yet, that is okay. That is just something to strive for. So let's take a quick pop quiz or a little myth busting, if you will, of a few things that I hear very regularly, uh, either from family members or clients or just in the nutrition bubble kind of floating around um, that all have to do with pain management. So gin soaked raisins help with arthritis. What do we think about that one? If you've heard of this um, or if you've tried this, Sadly, this is one that has not been proven. I was really hoping (laughs) this one would be true because it's kind of a fun one, but uh, it just has not been proven. I think the placebo effect is really high with this one. Uh, I even have, you know, family members and and clients who swear by this that they, um, so much so that they even have it down to an exact number, like eight raisins or something like that, that helps with arthritis pain. So I mean, if you only got seven reasons, it's not going to help as much. I don't know. But science just doesn't support this as true. But that does not mean that that placebo effect isn't real for you. And in your mind, it's true for you. So if you feel that having the gin-soaked raisins really does help with your arthritis, carry on. I mean, I think the 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 benefit outweighs the risk if you're only having a small amount. Um, so there's that that's something to kind of to, to play around with a little bit, but science just does not back it up, unfortunately. So the second one that I hear all the time is nightshade veggies cause inflammation. So are you familiar with the nightshades? It's a specific uh, class of plant. Um, these are things like tomatoes, uh, peppers, um, potatoes. Those all are considered nightshade vegetables. Um, a lot of, of buzz is kind of around this one. There is a famous celebrity doctor who's really pushing this as true. And also, wouldn't you know, he's got a supplement that you can buy that helps cure this and helps, you know, eradicate this. So always, always, always take that with a grain of salt. This particular topic has not actually been proven as fact. So in the scientific world, you have to have a study that is replicable. And there may be a study or two that shows that nightshades help to reduce uh, inflammation. But if it was not repeated and it can't be repeated by multiple different sources, it's kind of it's it's considered um, inconclusive. So this is one of those things. There may be a study or two floating around that shows that they prove that it is. But if it's not replicable, it it has to be kind of be questioned. Um, So the nightshade family of plants contain elements called lectins and which um, a lot of people say do cause inflammation. What has been shown, though, is cooking those foods that contain the lectins, like beans and peppers and and all of that, actually helps to reduce or degrade the lectins in the food. So that's, uh, you know suspiciously uh, not talked about in the famous celebrity doctor's 45-minute Facebook you know, webinar, um, but that has been shown effective for reducing the lectin count. So whether or not they the lectins cause the inflammation is not proven, but what is shown is that cooking those types of foods does help to reduce the lectin count and its uh, impact on your body. Um, now, I don't get me wrong. Some people do say that they feel better by cutting out nightshades. And, it, you know, if if that works for you, try it out. I think experimenting, though, with the different cooking techniques with those foods 
first might be a good idea um, before you go and, and remove those certain vegetables because those vegetables contain other nutrients that are important. Um, you know, and, and also, are you are you paying attention to other inflammatory causes? Those those other foods that we talked about um, are those being minimized as well? For example, I have a client who, um, when when she found out about the nightshade, she immediately yanked those from her diet. Yet she still has a ton of sugar and sugary drinks in her day. So. Um, you know, I'd rather somebody would remove sugar or not remove completely, but reduce the sugar in their diet and not the vegetables. But, you know, it's way easier to remove veggies than it is to remove sugar sometimes. Um, and it's not always well received to tell somebody to remove sugar. So I get that. But just something to consider with that one. So a couple of final tips I wanted to talk about. So balancing your blood sugar. Um, this is really important in terms of managing the insulin and the cortisol levels. If you are having a lot of sugary foods or a lot of carbohydrate-rich foods and it's causing the blood sugar to spike up and insulin to be released, if that's happening happening a lot throughout the day, multiple times you're sipping on sodas or sugary drinks throughout the day and insulin is chronically released in your body, that's going to cause an inflammatory uh, response. So that is definitely something to balance the blood sugars. There's tons of ways to do this. I'm happy to uh, talk more about it or create another um, you know, episode about balancing your blood sugar specifically, uh, but definitely reach out if you have questions on that one. Also reducing, of course, but not eliminating those pro-inflammatory foods. I definitely am not one to say everybody needs to be sugar-free forever. That is impossible and it's miserable and it's not necessary. So you can still have some of those inflammatory foods, but just take a look in your typical day, what is normal for you? Because what is normal for you plays a part in what your symptoms are right now. So if there are things that might be easy to swap out, like maybe instead of having a, you know, a Coke in the morning, you're going to have lemon water or something like that, where you're going to start reducing some of those kind of heavy hitters, the dairy, the gluten, the things that we had talked about, um, start taking a look at that and just figuring out what makes sense for you. And then, of course, adding in those anti-inflammatory foods, adding in the bright veggies, adding in the fish or the healthy oils, um, you know, those types of things are really going to give you some support and they're going to give you other other resources to help your body fight other things like infection. You're getting a lot more antioxidants. You're getting a lot more vitamins and minerals when you add in those anti-inflammatory foods. It's not just the inflammation. You're getting multiple benefits from adding more of those in. And then, of course, the last tip, keep moving, keep drinking your water. Um, of course, like the movement part is is where Dr. Brian Keith is so amazing at giving you ways to move your body that is pain-free or that will help build strength and, and all of that. And you got to keep moving. It's like having a, a tractor out on an old farm for, you know, decades that hasn't moved. It's rusty. It's stiff. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to get moving. You got to keep moving. You got to move your body. I know when you're in pain and your joints are achy and creaky, that's the last thing you want to do. But as you know, Dr. Brian Keith would would point out that's one of the best things to do to keep things fluid and keep things moving. So I hope that this has been helpful for those of you I know you wanted to attend but couldn't. Um, let me know if you have any questions. I will also 
uh, connect Dr. Brian Keith's information, contact information with this and as well as Ember Modern Medicine. If you have not been to Ember Modern Medicine yet, go and check them out. It is a fantastic space. They have a really welcoming and warm. It does not feel like a doctor's office. It feels like a place you want to just kick back and like hang out with, with your family or your friends. So go check them out. They have a wonderful location. Um, and thank you so much for listening. I hope that this has been helpful. Please reach out if you have any questions. Bye.